If you're enjoying the show and want more, check out loudpipes.net slash donate. For as little as $1 per month, you'll gain exclusive access to the Loud Pipes after show, The Downshift, as well as other content and sneak peeks available only to our supporters. Even $1 goes a long way, and we truly appreciate your support. Better yet, come ride with us. Step up to $5 a month and receive an invitation to the monthly video hangout and the Riders of Loud Pipes private social network. Hang out in the clubhouse with other riders, chat with us on show topics, and so much more. You want free swag? Select the barbershop level, and we'll send you a free t-shirt and an annual swag bag. That's right, every year around the Barber Vintage Weekend, we'll refresh your swag with the items of the season. Loudpipes.net slash donate. It's time for Loud Pipes, the podcast centered around motorcycles, the motorcycle experience, and other automotive diversions. Recording from RDub Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, or wherever sufficient bandwidth can be located. Here's Rich Warfield and Rico Hogan. Cloud Pipes, episode 64. We've got a really cool interview we're going to be playing this evening about a product that we think is a good alternative to moving on to a trike. And stick around towards the end of the show. We have a new contest we're going to talk about. And we're going to have some fun with race car audio. Mr. Hogan, what's happening, buddy? Woo-hoo! What's happening, family? Sitting here chilling. Well, the race car thing I've been having fun with, and like I said, we'll get to that later in the show, but I have to take about a half step back. Maybe. The car I said sounded terrible isn't so bad when you're inside the car, so we'll see. I got to hear this crap you're talking about. (laughs) You got a beverage, my man? I do. I'm clearing out my refrigerator, so I'm still sipping on these colors, slow motion-like, even though they're 6.2%. I got two more left after this one. It's been about a month. I think uh, they were in the fridge before I left for Charlotte, so I'm still trying to Get them down my throat. Well, at least they're cold, right? Yeah, it's true. Good deal. Well, let's bring in our technical director, and let's also be honest, he's the third co-host, Mr. John Maracle. How are you, buddy? Doing well. Doing well, you guys? We're hanging in there. You got a beverage? Well, like Rico said, cleaning out the refrigerator, I'm still, you know, taking down some of those yinglings still, so. <laughs> are we going to be hearing about yingling still in, like, February? No, no, no. They'll be, they'll be gone here in a couple of weeks. All right. Once a week, you know, that should get him out of there. I thought my buddy Rich was going to come up here and help me drink him, but he hasn't shown up yet. That's some bitch. It's a long ride, and it's getting cold. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Throw a liner come on, in man. here. <laughs> I'll put a liner on it. <laughs> you know, I'm going to come down there on Saturday here. Yes, I do. With your liner, of course. <laughs> of course. And your mask, it's still a little smoky around here, you know. Oh, is it? Well. Yeah, what's, what's going on with that? That's weird. Yeah, the mountains of uh, western North Carolina and I think part of Tennessee and Georgia, northern Georgia. Yeah, there's a bunch of wildfires out there. Yeah, I think uh, talking with the, uh, the motor bloggers guys that live out that way, the mountains and everything's on fire over there because they're so dry. They haven't had rain in two months. Yeah, Enrico, Chimney Dang. Chimney Rock, I saw, was on fire basically right up to the roadway on the opposite side. Shut up, really? Yeah, big area. 
Wow. Yep. Yeah. And I uh, you don't think it's the Hillary supporters had anything to do with that, did they? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I know there was a. I was talking to a guy I work with today that went, was going to go camping with his um, children over the weekend over here to like a local lake, and uh, they were told they could not have a campfire due to it being so dry. Yeah, I wouldn't even do a little fire in my yard out here. It's just like desert. It's very dry. Anyways, what are you drinking there, my friend? Well, Rico, I, I almost hate to mention this to you. I mean, I almost want to lie and just say I was drinking a copper. Uh, what are you drinking? Mactoberfest? On Sunday, I went to the brewery to try and have a glass of the Barenbach, which is their country bock. Okay. Only to learn that they have already sold out in just three weeks uh, for the that's season. Incredible! That's how good that stuff is, though. So I had to buy an autumn mix pack to get two bottles of this. So I had to buy a six pack to get two bottles of Barnbach. <laughs> yeah. Hey, at least you got it. Ah, uh, and let let me just read a little sample from the back of this thing. So they say, even though it's that time of year again, there's no need to thank us for this bar and bock at OMB brewing fresh, delicious beer is just what we do. This holiday farmer's bock is a rich multi German style doppelbock lager with a deep amber color that goes with the season. It's also one of our biggest beers at 7.5%. Dang. 7.5. Did you shed a tear? Makes this. Yeah, I did because makes this 6.2 seems like uh, inadequate. Oh, it it doesn't drink like seven five. This is just this is one of the best beers I've ever had ever anywhere. Stop it! You're such a <laughs> smoozer. <laughs> it's not that good, is it? <laughs> is it possible? Mm-hmm. Huh. Oh, it is that good. Wow. Well, I would say save me one, but don't save me one. <laughs> I can't. There's only one left. And, nah. you know, we still got a downshift, so. All right. All right. New topics coming through. Well, Mr. Hogan found a really interesting product, and it is called the Leg Up Landing Gear. And we've had conversations in the past about trikes, and of course, John rides a spider, which is technically, an, I guess, an inverted a trike. Well, yeah, you know, reverse, inverted. It's technically called reverse trike. Reverse trike, okay. Technically. And we also know some other podcasters who might be having a little trouble holding up the big bike, and they were, have been talking about trikes as well. So before you go in that direction, we decided to call up. Pete uh, Giarusso, did I get it right this time, Rico? Yes, you did. Very good, my man. <laughs> and he's the president of Pete G's Chopper Design Services. And, of course, they're one of the products that they manufacture is this leg-up landing gear. So we're going to bring Pete onto the show. We're going to have a little conversation with him, learn all about what he's ridden in the past. He's been riding as long as I've been alive, so he's got some good stories. And we're going to hear all about the product. So while we're talking with Pete, check out the website. It's landinggear.com, and you can see some of the videos and a little bit of the product while we go through our conversation. Rico, anything else before I call him up? 
No, let's uh, push that button. So let's go ahead and bring in Pete Giarusso. He's the president of PG's Chopper Design Services. We're going to learn about what he's done in the past. And Rico has found a really interesting product that we want to talk about. So Pete, welcome to Loud Pipes. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so I guess let's start with a little background um, in terms of what you ride, you know, sort of your daily your daily steed, if you will, and and how you got into motorcycles, and then we'll transition off to your uh, leg up product. Okay, good. Um, I, now that I'm old and fat, and uh, and the uh, economy uh, in the early 2000s uh, was hard, I'm down to one motorcycle, and it's a bagger. Uh, it's actually a '98. Electroglide, okay, ultra classic, um, which worked out perfect because that's all I had left as I started to de- develop the product. We'll talk about it, uh, shortly. But I, I, prior to that, I had I had that bike as well as uh, the first bike I ever built, which I sadly had to sell. That uh, looks like I'll be getting it back shortly, and uh, and I also had a '94 Fat Boy. But I've been riding motorcycles since uh, let me see, '75, I guess it was. Yeah, '75. First motorcycle was an American at that point. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it was never a time in my life since 1975 that I didn't have at least one motorcycle in the garage. And, and living here in Florida, even if I didn't get a chance to ride the kids, the whatever, the work, the, I might put a battery in it and do my bike week event once a year. But at least sometime yeah. I was up on two wheels. You know, other times we're going to Sturgis. That's wonderful. But no matter what, not you know, always had a, at least one motorcycle in the garage. Awesome. So what kind of bike does your kid ride, if any? Well, my, my one son is a motorcycle. He worked for me for a while. He's a, a, we taught him how to weld, and he, and he helped manufacture the Lego product we're, we're talking about. Um, so he rides, a, I want to say it's a 06 Road Kick. So his, his, his bike's newer than mine. My other son won't be a biker, and, uh, and, my, and I have a daughter, and, and uh, she won't do motorcycles either. <laughs> well, at least you got one out of the three. There you go. Yeah, he's, he's a biker's biker. Yeah, that's kind of like my side. I've got one that's just a fanatic, and the other one could care less. Right there, you go. Yeah, well, no, I was. You know, he's a, he's a motorhead. I'm a motorhead, and the rest of the family couldn't turn a screwdriver if their life depended on it. <laughs> nice. All right. So, being in, in Central Florida, just uh, let's turn the screws on our our friends up to the north. What was the temperature when you came in this morning? <laughs> Actually, it was really chilly. I get here at six. It was really chilly. It was like fifty-nine degrees, and now that it's nine thirty in the morning, it's probably sixty-five. Oh, the and, and we're, we're expected we're expected seventy-five today, which is like great. We just we <laughs> get over the heat after a while, if you know what I mean. I mean, winter's yeah. going to start. I don't know about January fifteenth. It ends about on the twentieth, same month. Uh, you know, and if you get a sweater out of the closet, <laughs> you're like celebrating. You know. <laughs> That's just how it is. Yeah, we, we, we never get cold here. Never. That's funny. So, Pete, at your shop, so uh, you can you can either fix them, you can sell them, you can build them from scratch. What else is going on other than uh, other than that? Yeah, we. Um, it, it's funny when uh, I I sold. I used to be in the internet business, and I sold that in in 1998. And in 1999, I wanted to build a chopper for myself. This is before the whole Paul and Paul craze started and choppers, you know, were just for guys that remember what they were in the sixties. Um, and I ultimately 
opened uh, a little shop so I could build a chopper. And the reason I opened a shop is you can't get wholesale prices unless you have a, a location. And having just sold my internet company, it was easy to open a shop. So I started to open a shop. I figured if I build one bike, two years, I'll just close the place down. But people started coming. So hmm. we we started building custom bikes. You know, they, once we had our, our first bike, luckily enough, was on the cover of Easy Rider and all that. It was an old school style chopper. And then people started asking us to build bikes. So for a very long time during the whole chopper craze, uh, that's, you know, we changed oil. We, we, we customized bikes, you know, early, late nineties, early two thousands, people were really big into customizing bikes and building bikes and money was flowing. And, oh, yeah. you know, so, so we built custom bikes. We sold big bear choppers for a while. It's while they, they were still in business and people could get money to, to do it. And, um, it was, you know, we we're just a good bike shop. But for the time I started, I said, you know, I gotta think of something at some point that nobody's thought of for motorcycles and I should be able to produce it. And, and that, that'd be good, you know, and, and that would be my niche. Right. Uh, so, uh, I only had to be in the business, uh, about, uh, I want to say 10 years before we stumbled across, uh, what, what represents probably 70% of our business today. And that's a, uh, motorcycle stabilization system called, uh, leg up landing gear. And, um, a customer, <clears throat> had a problem, couldn't hold up his bike as it came to a stop. He's getting older. He just had his knee replaced, that type of thing. And, and, uh, we searched and searched and searched for, uh, a product that might be out there. Now that we have the internet, we could go see what anybody in the world's doing. Right. And nobody had anything like ours. And, and initially we, we designed a product that effectively, uh, brought two wheels down underneath the bike when the bike slowed down to help a, a rider keep it balanced. And that was, I guess we introduced it in 08. Okay. Um, since that time, we've improved it. Now it's a pneumatic device and, and all that stuff. But but basically, it's a computer-controlled system that allows you to leave the wheels down, if you will, take off. They'll come up automatically. You ride your bike like you always did. And then they'll they'll deploy when you get down under six miles an hour, if you ask them to. And, uh, and they'll help you balance a bike. Actually, when everything's right and you're on reasonably level uh, surface, you could you know, treat it like a track. You could stand up on, on the floorboards. Right. And that's what, uh, you know, unfortunately many of us are getting, uh, getting on older. years. <laughs> <laughs> right. And matter of fact, ironically enough, much like getting in the internet in 1994, before anybody knew what it was, I started this at 08. And in 2010, I think was the first one, maybe 09. Harley, for the first time in 45 years, brought out a trike because they realized the same thing. Now, <laughs> I'd love to tell you it was a marketing genius that made me do this. It was the customer who needed it. And, and we, we went into the project kicking and screaming. I needed, we're talking about 08, right? Yep. The, the business is going down the tubes all by itself because the economy is so terrible. Um, you, I couldn't sell custom bikes anymore because you couldn't get a loan if you wanted one, things like that. And, uh, but this guy challenged me to come up with a design. I come up with a design and then I say to myself, you know what? This could work. 18 months later, when we brought it to market, we found that it could work, but, but it, it was a lot. It was a very um, surprising project at that time, economically and then historically in this company, to get it off the ground. I borrowed from everybody I could borrow from right. just to try to, to get enough capital to get it started. And now, now, now we're doing good. It, it represents most of our business. Very nice. What did the first prototype look like? Just curious. It was one ugly piece. I got to <laughs> tell you, a, a real funny story. So we had to find a way to allow something to pivot underneath a bike. And, and Harley made uh, 
they used to call it a show stand. It was basically a center stand right under the middle of the bike that you could put the bike up on. And we basically bought one of those, tied it to the bike, and, uh, you know, put it, installed it normally. And, and this thing had, uh, the Harley center stand literally had little feet that screwed in, so you could adjust it left to right or the height or whatever you like. And we, we built uh, a little uh, device that had uh, two wheels on it. I mean, I mean, we're talking ugly. And we screwed it into those two two holes. That's how we held it to the bike. The first time we tried, I figured out using an electrical actuator. I put a, a literally a cardboard box in my lap, and there was a button that said down, and you held it, and it went down. And button that went up, and you held it, and it went up. And um, I'm still here today, but the first ride was <laughs> almost the end of the whole project. It literally <laughs> no pressed way. it down at about 30 miles an hour, and I went right up on the island. Uh, I was like, wait a minute, because it didn't it didn't let me steer. And so we learned things and then we we came up with an idea said well if that's the case we want to at least let the rider at that point still lean the bike a little bit and we controlled when he, the computer controlled when he could bring it down but it, it was ugly i mean it, it, we just hacked together some stuff and put some skateboard wheels on it and all this but like i said that's why it took us 18 months to not only we had to come up with a computer device how do we find the speed of the motorcycle which we've since we use a proximity sensor and watch wheels go around or pulley bolts or brake bolts or whatever mm-hmm. so we could judge the speed and then we also learned the early version where, where we'd want to it took a while to come down you can imagine an electrical actuator what people used to open their hoods and things like that yeah we had to find the right speed to allow it to start coming down so that by the time they almost stopped they were down and the early version again we allowed a little bit of leaning while they were down so the guy didn't uh, kill himself at nine miles an hour Huh. And that was fine for a number of years, and and for the right kind of people. People said, "Well, that helps me." That's and it's all it was was a help. They could still drop the bike, but if they were keeping it balanced and they and they used the system right, that was fine. We had people that asked for more. They who was an amputee, and and uh, you know I could still drop the bike, or I'm I'm just not strong enough to hold the bike up myself. Yeah, but I could still put my feet down. That kind of thing. And we searched and searched, and ultimately went to a, a pneumatic. Uh, version we call it generation two and now we have the power to hold the bike up hold the bike up i mean literally a fat guy like me could bounce on the floorboard and the bike's <laughs> going to stand up still you know it's still a motorcycle you want to you could yeah. still knock it over but you really got to work at it you know um anyway uh but, but, but with the power of pneumatics now now we're help, helping people more and we could bring it down at a slower speed because it comes down Instantly, we leave a little captive air tank in the saddlebag with the computer, and you, when that thing, when the system's told to come down, they come down. It sounds like a shotgun blast. I mean, not that loud, but it's like bang, and they're down. They're not full yet, but they're down immediately, giving help right away. And that's at about six miles an hour, which is almost stopped. So mm-hmm. it's it's been very intriguing. You might imagine um, our target clients are typically older gentlemen. We recently had a. World War II veteran comes see us, 96 years old. Wow. He goes straight to the Harley dealer from here after seeing the system, buys a Harley. They bring it to us. It was a, a Dyna switchback, actually. They deliver it to us. We put a system on it. He's happily riding it in North Carolina as we speak. 96 wow. years old. I, I wanted to give it to him free. I, if you run into a World War II veteran these days, uh, you know, right. it's really hard. There's not a lot of them left, and we were thrilled to do it. But guy was sharp as a tech. Most of our wow. customers are older. Some of them are, are, are younger guys that, that have uh, 
maladies, you know, they, their legs aren't right. as strong or they've had an accident and things like that. Right. Um, no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You have a question? No, no. I was going to say, I, I just saw recently that you put your system on a Yamaha R1. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, that was actually some time ago. It's one of our uh, things. During, uh, it was one of our movies on our YouTube page. During the course of the life of this, we'll have people who call us and, and say, hey, you know, I got one of these or one of those. And we'll do a custom install. We won't. It costs us a lot of money to develop a system and document it for a specific bike. So, you know, uh, so it could go out on a regular basis. So like we just recently introduced the Indian Roadmasters. Uh, in order to do that, it took us a long time, a lot of money, a lot of tooling, documentation, all this stuff. Well, if somebody with an Indian calls us up, we could do it. But I had a guy from the West Coast of Florida says I got the R1 and, you know, and, and he couldn't ride. He had a, uh, you know, I forgot exactly if he was a uh, amputee or what it, what it was, and so we designed one for for an R one specific on his R one specifically. I mean, he had a long swing arm on it and all this other stuff. So we worked with what we had. It was our first generation, the electrical version, and because it was so critical, because it couldn't use his legs at all, we uh, we actually put two actuators on it, not only to to make it stronger, but also as a fail safe. If the first one failed, he'd still have it be able to come down. You know. So we do that. We actually have a Victory Vision where in our shop right now that we're going to do a custom uh, setup on uh, very shortly. So uh, one of the things that's great about it when you talk about things like this or a custom one for somebody is the customers are they're overwhelmed. A lot of them, you know, like I'm riding. Again, I can imagine. You yeah. know, or I'm going to keep riding now, or you know, I bought this trike and we replaced a lot of trikes. By the I bought this trike. I hate trikes. You know, and then they sell that trike and they buy another bike and they bring it to us or, or buy a system from us and we ship it to them. And now they're still riding. It's very rewarding as a, as a product. You know, I mean, if I made exhaust pipes, it'd be great to see exhaust pipes at Bike Week. But but when you got a guy who sends me a letter and says, you know what, I just went to Sturgis. I haven't gone in five years. I'm thrilled that I could go. Thank you because you make this product. It's, it's very cool. Wow. So, you know, this this is... Uh why so important to you that just what you said there, just, you know, giving people the ability to get out and enjoy their bikes that haven't been able to, or have fear of uh, dropping it or have injuries or, or some kind of uh, knee problem, or whatever you're getting these guys back on their bikes and enjoying, you know, that freedom, that peace of mind, that therapy that you get from riding. So yeah, exactly. Awesome. As a matter of fact, uh, many, many of our customers are, they're out riding with their wives. They drop it. Their wife will not get back on the bike yeah, until we give them a, uh, something to make it safer for them. You know, yeah, yeah, very, very rewarding and uh, uh, and it's great. Unfortunately, sometimes we'll have customers that say, "Oh, I'm going to get back on my bike. Let me buy this," and they they're just not able to ride anymore, and they yeah. were kidding themselves, you know. And and so, uh, in many cases, we'll help them sell it, uh, consign it to us, and then we'll we'll get it sold to somebody else who needs it. But uh, for the most part, we literally have thousands of guys out there. That uh, we've given, uh, uh, and there's girls too. Don't please don't let's be politically correct here. Um, that that have the ability to uh, to continue riding that didn't before, and, and there's no doubt it's rewarding. Not to mention the fact that it pulled my com- company out of the fire yeah. and it, <laughs> we're right. back, back in life. You know, it's like right. ourselves, but it, it, it's very good. Cool. So so this your device attaches underneath the passenger floorboard, and what? So the second generation, you've you've added a, a special brace 
or support mechanism? So no, what, what happened was initially on the second generation, we clamped, you know, we clamped to the floorboards of a Harley. On the, on the gold wings, which we make them for too, we actually unbolted the floorboards. They had two bolts front to back, and then we would, we would bolt our bracket to that and their floorboards to our bracket. Well, Harleys, unfortunately, because of the way it lays out, they came out from the frame with this, we'll call it, three-quarter inch square bracket that was up and down. It didn't go front to back like most bikes of floorboards would. So our our uh, solution was we would literally clamp. We built something that would cuddle up to the bottom of the floorboard mount, and then we put a big clamp on the top, and, and we clamped it to it. And that was great, and it worked for a long time, and it still, it still would work, and it does for many people. But what we found was this is a cast part from our Harley. Some of them aren't the same. A guy drops his bike. It'll bend whatever. So it was, it was problematic somewhat. So it took us again, a very long time to find out because Harley wasn't going to call us up and tell us exactly what angle they put the frame members on and all this. But we've since come up with a, 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 a new mount that literally bolts to the bike with two bolts. Harley's floorboards used a bolt and a pin and two bolts, very strong, one inch square stock metal. So it's not going to bend. And we redesigned our, our, uh, leg mechanism to bolt right to that, much like other bikes that we do, and it it's really uh, strengthened the strengthened the whole leg up system as well as uh, you know the old system. Even if it didn't bend, it always flexed a little. This will not flex, so therefore the bike is more stable when it's on its feet and the like. So yeah, that that's recent. That's about three four months, and uh, probably took us the better part of a year to get to the exact angle uh, that that was required to to make it fit the Harleys. It can be manually engaged and automatically engaged. Tell us about how that works. I'll tell you exactly how it works. Um, (laughs) The way, uh, what happens because we have a speed sensor, uh, okay, that runs with, uh, depending on the year of the bike, runs on something that's going around and counts the number of times a bolt goes around. It's what's called the proximity sensor. We put it near either a pulley bolt or a brake bolt, depending on the year of the bike. So it, let's just say, as a rider, I start. I, I store my bike on its wheels all the time. So if, if the wheels are down and I turn the system on and take off and don't do anything, the computer will say, okay, we're at six miles an hour, pal. We're, we're, we're getting these things out of the way because we don't want you to ride on them at a speed over six. No matter what, they're fully automatic up unless you chose earlier to pick them up manually. Press a button. And it's always the same button. It's on the handlebar. We've got LEDs to tell you what's going on and it's right by your thumb, your left thumb. So assuming that we're riding along and we see a stoplight up ahead or we know there's going to be a stop or a time I'm going to want it down, if I press that same button, we'll blink a little LED to say that the system is now armed. And when you get to six miles an hour, down come the legs. We did that because we used to say, hey, wait till you get on the speed, and then you could press the button. Well, many cases, at six miles an hour, you got cars on both sides. You don't know who's doing what. <laughs> we didn't want an 80-year-old guy to make those decisions yeah. at that point. But similarly, I don't want to confuse anybody. It's semi-automatic down, whereby if you need, if the legs are down and, and you get over six miles an hour, no matter what, we're going to pick them up. Right. If you, do no, if you do nothing, the legs will never come down. So uh, if we're riding along at 20 miles an hour, we see the stoplight, we press the button, they'll come down the next time I stop. If we're riding along uh-huh. at 20 miles an hour and I don't press the button, they won't come down. I got gotcha. you. 
Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes you're in a slow corner. You don't want it to come down automatically or some other circumstance. You're in sand or whatever. Sometimes I ride with my buddies. I don't need it. I ride with my wife. I might need it. So it's yep. completely, completely, it's semi-automatic down and completely automatic up. Um, and at any time, if, if you're under six miles an hour, you press the button, they'll come down. You press it again, they'll come up. So, so you could do it completely manually, which a lot of customers do. Uh, you could do it semi-automatically. You could do it, uh, and then the, the rising of the legs can be, is completely automatic if you choose not to raise them sooner than six miles an hour. And it's only one button, so it's a no-brainer. In terms of the the surface, so if you're on a flat surface, obviously they come down all the way. But what if you happen to be on a lean? Like you said, if you're on a, a tilted corner or something and you happen to stop, does it account for that left to right? I would love for it to account for that. And, and quite honestly, you know, if money and size and all that would is no object, it, it would. But, but that's not the real world. So... Uh, here in Florida, we have to leave the state to find something that's slanted. But um, <laughs> if you live in the rest of the country, there are times you'll come up to an intersection and it's sloped off, let's call it to the right, just so that we can get the right picture, okay? You come up to yeah. the intersection, it's it's pitched. Well, up to 20 degrees, the bike doesn't care. You might not like sitting at the light, kind of leaning right. over 20 degrees, but the bike will still stand up, okay? Yeah. But much over that, uh, I'll use the, the way I describe it to customers in many cases is, if you were coming up to that same intersection and you didn't have a system like ours, you would always kind of cheat to the uphill side and you put your uphill leg down yep. to support the bike. Your, your downhill leg wouldn't reach the ground in a million years. Right. Well, our system is the same way. And this is a technique that needs to be learned. And, it, and it's not terribly easy. But if, if you did the exact same thing, and then just before you came to a stop, you pressed our button and brought the leg down and you're leaning uphill. First of all, it would try to put the bike perpendicular to the ground. But it's not strong enough to do that. Hmm. So all of a sudden, we have this leg on the uphill side, and it's pressing down, and it's filling up, and it's filling up, and it's filling up. And as it does fill up, it takes about four or five seconds to be completely full. It's giving my uphill leg help. Oh, I got it. It's, a, it's an air spring, effectively. So now I can lean on it. And in many cases, if you get the balance just right, you could literally take your foot off the ground, and it'll hold the bike up on that side. But it's not locked out. The strength, the stability that comes from our leg-up system is when when the legs are down on a flat piece of ground, the cylinders are forward of perpendicular. So in order for them to come back, yeah. you have to really compress them. Well, you can't do that when the cylinder's not all the way down. Now, if I put 500 PSI in there, it would hold it up and all that. <laughs> but we can't do that because we need a compressor. That, we got a trailer back there, and it's full of compressor with hoses and, you know, a generator. To, anyway, so so the, there was a compromise there. And, and, again, that's a technique to learn. Our target customer is typically a guy who can ride, but man, I can need a little help. I got to back up in the parking lot and all that. So, uh, so we didn't feel horrible about uh, being able to ask our customers to, to learn some techniques for some things, and 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 different guys use it for different things. Some people just use it to get on the bike. You could imagine, uh, yeah. guys, seventy-five years old, and, and both knees are bad, and he just can't hardly get on the bike. Well, now he can literally stand on a floorboard, you know stand way over the seat and put his other leg over the thing. Or in some cases, it's getting the wife on that way. Some wives, believe it or not, aren't as svelte as they were when they got married. And so it's harder for them to get on the back of the bike sometimes. Um, so um, 
so the, you know, one guy that may be all he uses it for, and uh, other guys just just when I got a backup, or just when I'm in the and the gas station, I, I, I you know I get terrified. I'm you know moving slow, slow moving procedures is really what it is. Can you use it every time you come to the light so you don't have to support the bike? Yep, I got many many customers that literally get to the light, put their feet down, press the button, bring the wheels down. Now they don't have to support the bike for two minutes while they're waiting for the light to change. So it's just whatever it is for whoever needs it, whatever their particular needs are. Okay. So the system takes a, just one of the saddlebags? And it's not even the whole, it, depending on the bike, it's not the whole saddlebag. Using a Harley as an example, one-third of the bottom half of the left saddlebag, real nice package. You, you know, it's covered with a nice metal uh, cover with, that's powder-coated black, um, is is occupied by the compressor. Okay. Um about the same on goings. Now, Heritage Softail, the left bag is is not completely consumed, but it's pretty much consumed. It's a skinnier bag, doesn't have as much room. The compressor system's a little larger, but for the most part, you lose a little bit of your bag, and that hasn't. Well, it could be an inconvenient. Uh, we had a guy guy came here the other day for an adjustment. I couldn't hardly find a compressor under all the clothes he stuffed around it, and that's fine. <laughs> so, you know, um, but uh, it definitely takes a little bit of it, and. Again, again, we get to compromise. And you know, I had a guy who did. He says, "I got to buy one, but it's got to be chrome." I said, "I'm not going to chrome one. Oh, I can't have it. All right, so it's not chrome. If if losing a third of your bag is more important than you not dropping your bike, you know, then then you can make that decision. But we have to put so, it someplace, and we worked very hard to make it as small as we could. The the whole compressor system, which is a compressor, a tank, uh, a valve that took us almost a year to have developed by a manufacturer out of Connecticut. To allow us to use a smaller compressor and less uh, less pressure to uh, to control the legs. So anyway, that's that's it does take a piece, but not as much as it could have. Cool. So so your arms are are black, so you don't mm-hmm. chrome the the arms themselves. We the, can't. The wheels we really that can't. It's a move them moving. Uh, you know, they they move on pivots. Uh, shoulder bolts typically very thick shoulder bolts, and uh-huh. uh, the chroming process is. Uh, not such that uh, we could guarantee the exact size when it comes back, and now all of a sudden, uh, so we don't, you know, you have to drill the chrome out to get the thing to turn, right, and then it right. starts rusting, and it costs 700 bucks because there's so many small pieces. Uh, right. we, we chromed one, and it'll be the last one we ever do. We got the, Hen- <laughs> the Henry Ford mantra is you can have any color you want as long as it's black powder coat. I hear you. <laughs> so do you sell these things overseas at all? All over the place. We just got, I got one going to Taiwan. We got the order yesterday. We sent one to Spain two days ago. Um, I'd love to tell you that half our business is overseas. It's not, but there's not, I mean, the only place uh, that we, the only continent we haven't sold a system on is uh, Antarctica. And now that John Kerry's been there, maybe, maybe we will. Who knows, right? Uh, but anyway, um, no, but, uh, we've sold to, I mean, some of the wildest. Uh, Australia's a, a reasonably good uh customer not much in 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 uh in africa we we have sold to saudi arabia some of some of the uh northern african uh nations british isles and and france and all that you know the internet's a wonderful thing because people find out all over the world um but in many places like europe you'd think oh man we'll get a lot well i don't know if you've been to europe but i i was in paris and uh there was a million 
uh, two-wheel vehicles there, and uh, I think I saw a Harley. I'm not sure, but I think I did. You know, they're very small streets, <laughs> you know, and they were, they're really riding a lot of scooters and small bikes and BMWs, things that get really good gas mileage, and that's why they're riding them, because we were there at Christmas, and there was a million motorcycles on the road, and it was cold. The system can work on pretty much – I have an Indian Roadmaster, so I'll be right. looking – to we have a system for you eventually. Your bike. <laughs> Sweet. Now, how much does the system um, cost to, to have Typically, installed? it's $3,500. We have a, a, a program for veterans and first responders where we give a little discount. Um, unless you're in Florida, shipping in, uh, well, shipping's free no matter what. But uh, unless you're in Florida, there's no sales tax. Um, and it, while it seems pricey, um, not compared to the alternatives. If you're going to take your bike and turn it into a, a three-wheel vehicle of any sort, oh, yeah. prices start at $6,000, and that's a disappointing uh, conversion. They go up to $15,000. And then when you're done, it's a trike. The biggest advantage of the leg-up landing gear is that when the wheels come up, it's your bike again. That's awesome. We actually had a, a listener write in with that same topic. Wow. They had a... They had a big uh, Electroglide and same kind of thing, getting tired of holding it up, dropping it a lot. And they were looking at trikes and just not impressed. So they were looking for alternatives. So this sounds like a good one. Yeah, I appreciate that. One, one of the things people don't realize about trikes, it, when, when you think about the demographics of, of my customers, which are typically older riders, and some of the best riders in the world, by the way. You know, I mean, I've ridden with a lot of the young kids that, you know, have 5,000 miles on them. They think a long ride is from here to Daytona in 60 minutes. But anyway, these guys have been riding 50 <laughs> years. The problem is, you ride a trike, it takes more upper body strength than you think. Not if you're going straight down the highway, but if you're right. doing any kind of sweeping curves and things. So all of a sudden, here's these guys, they spend $60,000, they get a beautiful trike, but they can't ride long, or there's places they can't ride at all. Or they're, you know, they're taking corners way slower than they'd want because it takes a lot of upper body strength. Nobody's putting power steering on these babies, and nobody's telling these guys that if you want to go into a long sweeper, you're pushing hard with your you know outside hand. Yeah, and and so they there's a lot of disappointment for for people. Forget the fact that they don't get to lean anymore, but but it's a lot harder now. If you know if it's a someone with a leg problem and they and they're younger. Or, or they never rode before, but they're thinking of riding it now. Now they, a trike might be perfect for them, you know, and they might be able to deal with it physically. But um, again, we get back to the whole: it's very rewarding to to give guys what they've been used to having. Oh yeah, and just give just take care of it at the, the, the at the fringes so that they can still ride the bike the way they always did. A trike always feels like you're settling. This sounds like you're not really settling with anything. Like you said, it's still your bike. You really don't. Not not for the riding part. You know, in the parking lot you do and, and this and that. But yeah, exactly so. You, you typically don't settle and you continue doing what you're doing. And if I give a guy even a year, they buy a system like this and then they get a year more riding than they would otherwise. Um, actually, I'll tell you a quick anecdote. One of the first customers I had, this guy, he walks in my shop. He was from Florida. He comes in and... And you could see he was a stroke victim of some sort. And and he wants to know about this. And this is, I'm talking about early, back when we were using those Harley uh, center stands, which were terrible. We we've upgraded, we fixed them about a year in. But he walks in, and I couldn't believe this guy could ride a motorcycle at all. And he talks to us, and he's, all of a sudden he's one of our customers. He had to be about 85 at that point. And, I, I mean, I wanted to help him from the door to the, to the counter. That's how I was <laughs> concerned about him. Anyway... Two years goes by. He calls you up. Pete, I'm down in the keys, and I can't ride my bike because the leg-ups, something broke on, on the system. 
And I was like, don't worry. You know, we've made all kinds of upgrades. Bring it to me on your way back in. And I couldn't believe this guy was right. And he says, oh, yeah, we ride to church every Sunday. This and that. What? Anyway, literally. So we upgraded to the latest things. Couldn't charge you a penny. Just couldn't do it. But any about five years later, so it was about three years ago, he calls me up. He says, the doctor won't let me ride anymore. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm saying, you know, you can't fit the walker on there anyway. But anyway, he we took the system off so we could get the bike to his son. But I was, it was so impressive. This guy got about six years of riding that there's no way he could have rode without it. And uh, you know, those are the, those are the things that'll stick with me. You know, when I when I have my walker, you know, which isn't as far away as I wish it was. Right. <laughs> Do you foresee a generation three coming out and what are some no, of the improvements? Not really. We improve things all the time, but I don't see a generational change. That's why we call this. This was a gen. We went from electric to air. Um, do we improve things all the time? Yes, we do. We learn from a customer. He says, Oh, he's got this problem or something we fixed. You know, uh, you know, they, they say, Oh, look at what happened to this. Oh, geez, maybe we could do it better. Those kind of changes happen all the time. Uh, as a matter of fact, we actually made the, uh, gave the, our first, uh, early generation two uses the ability if they had a Harley to upgrade to our new mounts. We made what we call a retrofit. It allows the system to still clamp, but we're replacing Harley's floorboard mount with one of our own making that's much stronger. So those are the kind of things. But no, I, I, we're very happy with the way it works. Will we add things to the programs we just recently did? We found out that uh, you know in dusty climates sometimes. Air would leak down, and the, and the legs would want to start to creep down. And when it, if they rode far enough, it, you know, if there was dirt in there in this valve system, they would come down. So now we change the program once a minute. We check if they're up. We blow the air out just in case it started to accumulate. And the same thing if they're down once a minute, we check and make sure they're fully pumped up. Things like that. Those kind of improvements that'll happen continuously. But as far as changing the system, I really don't think so. We'll add bikes as time goes on. Um, but, but it, it should stay this way, um, until I'm lucky enough to sell it to somebody. Awesome. The awesome part about all this is you're a coder yourself, so you can just plot right in and see it all. <laughs> Do it right the there. So, yeah, the funny, the funny thing is our first generation, I literally, uh, searched and searched and found a, you know, we got price points everywhere. You know, people say, oh, that's 3,500. You know how many pieces it takes to make this go? Anyway, we, I found a, a, a single board computer from Rabbit, a company called Rabbit. And they, um, it was basically the equivalent of an old 8086 PC on a, on a board the size of your cell phone. So anyway, I, I had to come up with this program and I wrote it in, in C language because I came from the geek world way back when. And, uh, and we we used that computer for a long time. It was in a bigger enclosure than we liked, and we had to make a little uh, relay board, things like that. But but it worked great and helped us debug the whole system. And since that time, we were able to have somebody take what we have and make a, a computer that's our product. It's it's proprietary. Yeah. Single board computer uses what's called a field programmable gate array, kind of like the little chips that make your Windows go down when you press it. <laughs> you, know, you press it and the window goes all the way down, that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, and then when, when, once he did that and he converted my C program to what works on this board, I had to learn another language. I'm way too old for this crap. <laughs> but I, I, I don't pretend to understand everything, but I do understand what enough of what's in there so I could, I could change the speed with which they come up and down. I could change from an electrical actuator to this pneumatic. I had to do that. Uh, and, and then these enhancements like, 
uh, we just discussed about blowing out the air once a minute and things like that. So, yeah, the fact that I was a geek helped us uh, get this thing off the ground, certainly. You know, we I'd love to tell you we have an engineering department in a big glass building, you know, six <laughs> stories tall, but uh, it's not like that. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. If you see our movies, you'll know that, you know. But uh, anyway. Um, cool. Last question. So if sure. you could give one piece of inspiration advice to a young inventor or entrepreneur, what would it be? Don't let the, I have a good, good advice because I was on the verge and I, I, you know, I was mature. We, I've had a businesses of my own for a long time. As soon as you think, you know what, that's too much. Stop it. Just keep doing it. You know, whatever it takes, if it's a good idea, if you can find, if in this world these days, you could come up with something that, that nobody thought of before. Just stay with it till you do it. Ask questions, figure it out. I look at, I could, I had never in my life made an engineering drawing. We have 400 drawings and every one of them I drew on a, a program called SketchUp, which is free cool. all over the internet. Um, awesome. but what I mean is, but, but you're in the process of going from what a great idea to I could possibly sell it. There was a million times I could have said, you know what? Screw this. I'm busy. Or I want to go home, you know, or whatever. If if you could just push through those obstacles, if you can get yourself past thinking I can't do it, then you can get there. Someday, some company's going to buy this. So I'm going to get a lot of money for it. But but the effort and the rewards from that effort, they came long long ago. If I, if I never sold another one, it, w- it was worth worth that effort. So just you know, just don't be down on yourself. Don't don't think. Don't give up when it gets hard because it's real hard, you know? And then, but once you get there, I sometimes look at the product from end to end. I say, why don't I look at that? That thing's designed that way. What a great idea. Oh my God. Well, that's years of, of the effort and then not giving up. And so that, that's the advice I have for what it's worth. <laughs> you know? Awesome. Thanks. Okay. Can I plug my website? And not that you guys aren't doing a great job plugging. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Just one, one time, real easy to remember. Landinggear.com, landinggear.com. One G, two Gs, we don't care. It works both ways. Um, the kick is, even if you're not interested in it, watch the movie. It's very interesting to, to see. There's multiple movies on the site, as you might imagine. And then, at least it's in your back pocket. If you know somebody, or if you get off your bike at a light, pick up one of your friend's bikes, tell them to watch the movie. I've done it already. <laughs> kidding me? There you go. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I, I appreciate it. I'm going to be uh, checking out your website more than I have up to this point. Awesome. Well, well, Pete, we'll love to have you back for updates and uh, thank you so you, much in months to come. So we look forward to hearing from you. Great, guys. Thanks again. Thanks a lot. All right, bye. Take care. Bye now. All right. So that was a good conversation with Pete and Rico. I don't know. Would you would you slap this on the roadmaster when the time comes that you need a little help? In a heartbeat. <laughs> I mean, it sure beats a trike. I just, the handling alone, I think, would be enough for me to say, ah, no thanks on the trike. Yeah, just like you were saying, it, it takes more upper body strength to maneuver around the twisties on a trike. Yeah. You know, rather than you, you, you know, you would on a, a regular bike. So, yeah, 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 makes sense. Makes total sense. And John's got the advantage, at least on the spider, of having some power assist, right? Doesn't it, John? Yeah, it does. It has it has power steering in the front. Yeah, so he does not. He's not having to muscle that near as much as if you had a a traditional trike. Right. And I I can keep up. I I do pretty good keeping up. Other than oh, you, yeah. I mean, I can't I can't keep up with you, but 
You know, I don't know. When Rich gets done with these track days, I probably can't keep up with him either. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I've seen you work that uh, track around the corners too. So I can get a sense of what he's saying. Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, fellas, you want to talk about a new Harley before we get into the U turn? What kind of Harley are you talking? Harley has a, what they call now a street bob. And this is from who? Street Bob. This is in the Dyna series. So not to be confused with Fat Bob. And essentially we're looking at a, a stripped down, sort of chopper looking. Chopped rear fender, mini apes. Sort of, they're sort of saying it's stripped down of things that it doesn't need, but still looks a lot like a factory bike to me. Yeah, I think it's stripped so far down, they'd even put that Milwaukee 8 in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 103 cubic inch. It's not, it didn't even get the 110 treatment, so. Wow, boo. Opportunity there could have been the first Dyna, first non-CBO <sighs> Dyna to get this. Yeah, I think I think I was hearing, too, that they're only going to put that Milwaukee 8 in their touring bikes. For now, so. for now, yeah. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, you're not impressed, Hogan? Not impressed. No, I'm not impressed at all. Nope. The only thing, as I, far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, that that was a 2015 bike he just <laughs> built. <laughs> well, for real. The only thing I like is is sort of that simplicity. You know, we've we've been it's kicking ugly. around the idea of a custom chopper, and I mean, to me, that's that's the epitome of a chopper. Is you just strip off everything you don't need. Yeah, you know what? That street bob to me is like being picked. The last person picked in 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 a, in a dodgeball competition. Oh man, oh man, you're harsh tonight. I'm just saying. He's like, oh, all right, get over here. <laughs> so, Rico, would you take the triumph over this one? Oh, what? triumph bobber over this? Yes, I would. I would take the triumph over this, even though it it's. I, I would. I would take the triumphs. It, it's the street bob is just that ugly. Solo. What if I made the seat brown? Now, how much would no. you pay? No, I wouldn't. No, <laughs> wouldn't give it a second look. <laughs> what if I had the Milwaukee Eight in it? I would do it just to see how fast it was, but still, eh, I wouldn't do it. I don't like that style. It, it just doesn't. It doesn't speak to me for some reason. I don't know what it is. Let me look at it again before I. I you know what? Never mind. I just got a little puke in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! Wow, Rich. Man, Rico's Rico's oh, being rough tonight, Rich. <laughs> That's Rico at rdubstudios.com. dot <laughs> com. R I C O. <laughs> oh, it's just the truth. I'm, I'm sorry. It's it's boring. It's a boring bike. All right, wow. before you turn everyone away, it's getting to the U turn. <laughs> Oh, well, I made a statement on the last show that I thought the Ford GT was a terrible sounding race car. And we didn't get any. I said. We we didn't get any feedback on it. And Rico said, well, let's see. Let's get some sounds. So we have some sounds. We're going to get to that. Um, But one little bit of feedback that we did get that I want to cover is from a person by the name of Walter, last name withheld, and also didn't provide an email address, so I couldn't reply. Um, but essentially, they were 
They're glad to hear we're interested in IMSA. They're also a Corvette fan. And they had sort of heard wind that the Cor- they might be the last year for the Corvette. And the Cadillac would be entering next year on a new platform. So was wondering if we'd heard anything about that. And I have heard some of that, but it's not the C7R replacement. From what I understand, the the Daytona prototype, which is based on the Corvette, is the one going away in favor of the Cadillac platform. So that's all I've been able to find, not from an official source, but that's all I've been able to find. And and we'll keep our we'll keep our eyes and ears open. If we find anything, we'll certainly pass it along. Because I, I can't imagine that the, the Corvette itself going away from racing. That's no, that's not going to happen. No, you can't take your stallion out of the race. Although Audi is pulled out of um, endurance racing. Ah, uh, damn. Yeah, no more. Well, I guess I'll be all right. I, I think they kind of accomplished everything they could. They had so many wins at Le Mans and so many championships. It's like, and now I guess they're going on to Formula One or something. Yeah, I guess. I guess like Le, like LeBron or Michael Jordan, you get so many different rings. You're like, eh, eh. I'll let the other guys win something. <laughs> Give them a chance. I'm going to go play golf. <laughs> right. Exactly. I might right. trade baseball. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's have some fun with some race car audio. All right. Before I get started, the audio that we're going to play comes from the Marshall Pruitt podcast. So he's got a long history in covering motorsports, and he does a really interesting podcast. So he has a lot of good interviews with people in the business, both racers and, and people on the teams. But he also does this segment on in-car audio. And when I found this, I think Rico and even John and I were talking about this. This is like a lullaby to me. <laughs> the, oh, man. The first one I found was titled Corvette C7R in-car audio. And I just let it play. Just let it run. Put my head down on the desk. I'm just soaking it in. Mm. The whole thing. It's like 30-some minutes long. Jeez, like a, like a lullaby, huh? Just like a lullaby, exactly. Just put me in the zone. I got real chill. Oh, just beautiful. Mm. So to get back to our original challenge where I have asserted that I thought the Ford GT was a terrible sounding race car and we were going to assemble some other ones to sort of banter the topic. Now, I will say since this is inside the car, this is going to sound a little different than what you might be used to hearing when you're sort of watching it on TV. Uh, as you know, as the cars go by, so you have a lot of transmission noise and a lot of other things that you don't hear outside the car. So keep that in mind. Right, and these are all race cars. Right, yeah, race cars. You know, open exhausts. Like you know, these are not wow. really going to sound like the street cars. Yeah, so this will be loud. Get your headphones ready. Keep your volume knob close by. <laughs> Think you'll enjoy it though, and your scorecard, and you're going to enjoy it. And we're going to enjoy it. All right, Rico, do I need to play the uh, verdict first? The uh, GT? Uh, no, let's save that to the end. Let's save that one to the end. Well, I think the one I called out, we have to play first. And then they, people can hear the comparison. Oh, all right, whatever. I say save the best for last, but go ahead. Oh, sorry. So we're definitely playing it first. <laughs> definitely playing it first. All right, here is the Ford GT which is a three and a half liter twin turbo V six 
from episode 62 of the Marshall Pruitt podcast. Thank goodness I have a nice beer over here to rinse down that noise. Oh, you're such an... <laughs> really? <laughs> you like that? That, does, that doesn't sound like a V6 to me. Yeah, it's kind of angry. I'll give you that, but... Yeah, it kind of. It is angry. The one thing that I will add is the little be bits angry. of technology you, that you hear. All that. All yeah, right. yeah. I will be an angry V6. Also, if I should have been a V8 with twin turbos, yeah, screw the EcoBoost stuff that you're trying to promote. I should have been a V8 is what that motor is saying. Angry. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what it's saying is, ah, man, I should have been a V8. Instead, I got two big old turbos bolted on my backside. All right. So that's the twin turbo V6. Should move on to a V10. Let's do it. All right. Dodge Viper GT3. This is an 8.3 liter V10. This would be episode 63 of the Marshall Pruitt podcast. Sorry. The Dodge got one of the noisiest transmissions. I know that. Oh my God. It's like <laughs> running your nails across a chalkboard. Ugh. It's disgusting. So you don't like my the big ears V10? Still hurt. No, I couldn't tell it was a V10. Hmm. All I can hear is that drivetrain whining in my ears like a nagging wife. All right, Mark Rico down. Give Rico before the show, Rich. God, I know, right? What are you? What are you drinking again? Keller, Mm. a twelve percent alcohol, I think, isn't it? No, it's only six point two. Only had one. I drank half of it. I think he's fired up because he doesn't have a bar in Bach. Stop it! You gotta stop playing with my emotions. I'm gonna snap one day. All right, what we got next in there, Mister Warfield? Yeah, before you snap, let's move on to. A little snippet from episode 66. This would be something that you should enjoy, Rico. This is now a 6-liter V12 from Aston Martin's Vantage GT3. There you go. There you go. Now you're talking.
<laughs> better? Getting better? That's that's a lot better. I thought you'd appreciate that. Yeah, that's an angry motor too, but it's it's more aggressive, you can tell. And I like I like the way he was uh downshifting there too. Very nice. And Good aside pedals. from the the Corvette um C six R, this is the other another car that I've actually driven. Crickets. Crickets. Yeah. On the simulator. See that, ah, that okay. joke that joke only works if you respond. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. You suck. All right. (laughs) Let's go to the beloved 911. This is from episode Like that all I like that. That almost has like that um the Kawasaki uh H three uh turbo sound. Yeah, okay. You know, but that's that's uh, more that sound better than that Viper for sure, and that's a Porsche. Yeah. Yep, nine eleven GT three R and I th- I think that's a nice sound. I mean I'm I'm a big V eight guy. Obviously I like the Corvette. But I also enjoy the sound of the 911, especially in in race car trim. Yeah, even the ones we rode on the we drove on the track, yeah, those sounded, sounded rowdy too. Oh, loved it. That came in GTS. That's still, oh, oh, that's money. That's money right there. We have to do that again. Yes, yes, for sure. All right. Well, I saved the best for last. Of uh, course, you, you some bitch. All right, so Marshall Pruitt again, episode 61, and we have links to all these in the show notes. You won't necessarily find them uh, on the website by the episode numbers the way we do it. It's more on the name, so look for like Corvette C7R, which is what we're doing now, or you know Aston Martin Vantage the GT3, the one prior. Um, so just keep that in mind when you're looking for the episodes, and like I said, links to these in the show notes, and highly encourage people to check it out if you like race cars at all this is a very very interesting podcast i've learned a lot and like i said it's my bedtime lullaby so it's not going to help you i race and you know that right probably not no (laughs) (laughs) all right now here i present you with what i feel is one of the best sounding race cars in all of the land whatever let us be the judge of that play the soundtrack Yeah, uh, I, I 
have to admit that one sound had a little bit more throatier uh, <laughs> tones to it. Yeah, that one was good. But that was the only V8, I think, in the bunch. Yeah, I was trying to find um, Aston Martin in one class lower. They race a Vantage V8 that sounds fantastic as well. I was trying to find that one. Yeah. But yeah, it's almost it's almost easy to do it with a yeah. V8. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, of course, it sounds great. Yeah, the V8 is the way to go, because for the sound, uh, it's the only way to go. Well, and for proof of that, here is a similar engine. Uh, in a completely different car. Bonus track. I bet you John knows what that is. Sounds like Corvette. Corvette? Which one? Prototype. Exactly. Yeah, so this is the the prototype series. The cars are lighter, wider, uh, much better handling, much more downforce. But it's the same 5.5 liter mil that's in the C7R. And I believe cranking out about 600 horsepower in the Daytona prototype. That's impressive. And, of course, the engine's behind the driver instead of in front, so it does sound a little different. Right. So, yeah, again, V8 for the win. Yep. Tell it was the same engine. Yeah. Yep. All right, Rico, I've got one more bonus car for you, and I'm going to let you and John see if you can guess what this is. It better be a BMW M3 with V8 in it. Oh, sorry, but thanks for playing. <laughs> This is an alternative to uh, Ford's mess, maybe. Oh, Lord. Okay, crank it up. John, any idea what that is? I I have to veto my choice because... uh, as a TDR, I've already figured that out. Oh, <laughs> you're too good. Well, Enrico knows I played it for him earlier. <laughs> so that is also a 3.5 liter twin turbo V6, cranking out about 600 horsepower as well, but that is in an Acura. Uh, incorrect. It's 500 horsepower, my friend. Whatever. It's a lot of power in a little engine. Well, 100 horsepower is a difference, sir. <laughs> It's less than 20% at that point, or exactly 20% at that point. Anyways. Wow, TD, not slipping a bit tonight. Look at you. Man, it's on the ball. That's, that's why we hired this guy. So mine's easy picking. The, the Corvette, that, that mill, that 5.5 liter engine, for my money, that's as good as it gets. So, Hogan, of, of this lineup, you can't, you can't go outside the lineup now. Come on. Which ones? I will have to go with the uh, Austin Martin. Ooh, wasn't expecting that. Okay. Yeah, I know. All right. What's your runner-up? Just curious. The Asking for a friend. The GT3R. The Porsche? The Porsche. Oh, you just taunted me now. <laughs> and Rich. He's really toasting you. Ah, 
John, your favorite. Corvette. Yes, there we go. That's my boy right there. <laughs> you sell out. <laughs> Check, checks in the no, mail. No, it just sounds so great, though. <laughs> I had him going. <laughs> there it is. I had him going. Dang it. Mm. Wow. Well, that was fun. As he sips his beer. It's almost gone. Oh, boys. That goes fast. This That bar and bar, holy guacamole. It goes yep. fast. Yep. So, yeah, that I, I enjoyed going through all the different episodes. Like I said, um, Marshall puts together a, a pretty interesting uh, podcast. I, I've only found it recently. And like I said, I've started going through this in-car stuff and some of the other interviews. He has the Corvette team, I believe, after their 100th win for a little round table. So it's pretty neat. If you like this kind of racing or racing in general, like I said, check it out. It's good stuff. All right, fellas, what do we got next? TD, come on. Head over to the uh, garage. Yeah, we're going to the garage. We got new in the uh, bike customization world there, Mr. Warfield. Have you figured it out? Got any feedback from my yet? On what you should build? Hold on. Let's do it properly. Let's head over to the garage. Oh. Oh, proceed. Oh, we can proceed now? Yes. <laughs> All right. So, so Mr. Warfield, you got any new information on your project bike you're working on? Any any thoughts in your brain been pondering over the last week? No, nothing on the custom bike. Um, I've kind of no? been focusing on my little racing venture the past oh. couple of days. Uh-oh. Oh, do tell, do tell. So kind of looking at track days and schools and trying to figure out, okay, what what do I need to make it to the track? You know, obviously I need a motorcycle. Duh. That's the first thing. But Check. <laughs> check. But, what, you know, what are they looking for? What does the bike need? Or more importantly, sometimes what doesn't it need? You know, like you said, Rico, you got to tape up the lights and anything glass and all that stuff. But now I'm starting to look at gear. So leather suit, preferably a one piece. Um, some of the places do allow a two piece as long as it zips all the way around. Leather gloves, boots have to go, I believe, to the mid calf at a minimum. And the helmet, I cannot remember the certification, but there's some certification that the helmet needs. It's one of the Snell ratings. M. Is it M? It's what you had in the. It's M. In a, it's, you had it in the. Uh, in our chat windows. Oh, did I? Okay. And yeah, so the, sh- the showy that I have, the RF-1200, does meet that certification. So I have that, and it looks like um, Cycle Gear has a set of leathers, the one piece, for about 300 bucks. So that's not too bad. I've already got gloves. I've got boots um, that are certainly appropriate for that. So Also, you got to uh, drain the radiator fluid out and put water in. Yeah, I was reading that. And it's also a good idea to put in some high temp brake fluid. So that means I get to bleed those wretched brakes again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Have fun with that. Yeah, I'm gonna put the speed bleeders in now. Forget it. Uh so yeah, it looks like I need probably another couple hundred bucks to get some gear and probably some miscellaneous track day things I'm gonna need. You know, cans of gas, some just various tools and whatnot. Just trying to figure all that out. And then of course a trailer to haul it all. Well, well, I guess uh, you guess you better make out your Santa list and see if he'll bring it to you. You think Santa's going to get me a leather suit? Oh, he might. 
You might. You've been a good boy this year? Of course I have. All right. Depends on who you ask. Yeah, that's on who's asking. But the other thing, Rico, is as I look at those leather suits, I'm like, there's no way I'm putting one of those on until I lose about 30 pounds. That's just not going to happen. Uh, dude, I've seen them. I've seen them all shapes and sizes. So don't be ashamed. Just put it. Just put it on. It's not a shame. Go about your business. Put it on. Go about your business. It's one of those things when you look at race gear and things for the bike. People will spend hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars to shave ounces off the bike. You know, not even pounds, just like well, to shave just, ounces. You're just worried about learning how to take the corners right now. So that's what I'm saying. Don't worry about all that. You're going to lose the weight while you're out there on the track as that sun is beating down on you and all that heat's coming up off the track. <laughs> Trust me, you'll lose the weight and sweat. <laughs> Don't worry about that. It'll That'll come. Well, no, let's be honest. I just try not to look like a fool. <laughs> that's no. goal number one. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, just follow the leader. Tape your speedometer up so you don't see it, and just follow the leader. Don't pass. Just try to get in the zone. Yep. And uh, and some instruction too. I'm I'm looking for yeah. a course. I want you know learn the basics, get the fundamentals, and then like you said, take that first track day and just just get to know the track first. Yep. Yep. And you'll 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 have to you'll have to pace the uh, the leader. So he'll take you around the track at a certain speed, and he'll speed you up as you guys progress through the session. So uh, don't worry. You'll get there. All right. And you'll be hooked. You'll be looking for twisties all over the place. You'll be running to ride the dragon's tail every day. Yeah, well, that's an interesting topic, though. Like, So with with the R6, for example, if you're going to do track days, would you even license that bike, or you just leave it as a track bike? Uh, you could do, you can almost do both, but it depends on what you, how, how, it depends on how serious you get, you know? Yeah. That's what true. it comes down to. The bad part, Rico, though, is if you have to dump the radiator, you won't want to do that normal riding because it could overheat and everything, you, you know? Yeah, that's true. So, you know, you, you dump it in and out, you know, yeah, you'll have to invest in some radiator fluid stock. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so much to look at, but I, I'm having fun, which is the the most important part is going through the research. You know, I've had conversations with different people, both online and in person. And actually the, the gentleman we're going to have on the next show, who's going to talk about ADV bikes with us is also a, a track day instructor. So this is going to be interesting. Oh, that's going to be perfect. I'm so excited. It might be like a three hour show. <laughs> Like, okay, we got that ADV stuff done. Let's talk about track day. Cool. All right, John, events? Events, yes. We have a couple events coming up. There's, as we talked about earlier in the show, we got the ADV um, demo days at Charlotte Motorcycle. Motorcycles of Charlotte, yep, on uh, Saturday, November 19th. Check. And then, then... Plan out a little farther. We got Easy Rider Bike Show in Charlotte on January 21st of 2017. That should be fun. This will be our third annual for Easy Rider. Yep. That'd be your third. Yep. Rico's not, or and my second. Rico, you making it? Nah. We'll see. Oh. We'll see. Oh. We'll have a surprise. The guess. surprise. All right. All right. 
Well, I think we've made people wait long enough to hear about this contest, don't you think? Contest? What contest? Yeah. We're going to have a giveaway. Giveaway? What are we giving away? We have this nice little item to give away. And hold on, it's right next to my desk. I'm going to go get it. Jeez. Yeah, wait, Rico. He's making us wait. Did he more. really just get up? Did he just get up and leave the show to go get it? I think he did. I honestly wow. think he did. So we have to. So we have to ramble on until he decides to come back with this gift that we're going to give away to our listener. Yeah, to our listeners. Well, that's pretty cool. We've got something cool, right? Give away to our listeners. Oh, it's really cool. It is way cool. All right, I've got. And it. if and, and before while we're plugging that, we'll plug the store. If you want some of our swag, head over to loudpipes.net/store to get some of our merchandise. All right, you guys ready? I think so. All right. First five riders, Zion, when I delivered the my KLR to him, my baby, miss her a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit, and as we were leaving, he handed us this nice little bag, and he said, hey, here's a good item that you guys can use as a giveaway. So first and foremost, I want to thank Zion for, for donating this to the show, and we're going to have a nice little contest around it. So what I have in my hands is a leather brown case rico it's brown i'm digging it i'm digging it it is from legend legend gear and it's called the handy tache i'm saying that right and it's essentially a little smartphone case for your bike so it's all like I said, it's all uh brown leather it's got black uh black stitching zips around the sides got a couple of straps to hold it on your bike and it's really really well done like i said this is from legend gear uh, and this is a German company. It's very nice. And you're gonna put a picture of it on the in the show notes for them to check out as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll put my I'll put my iPhone six in here. I'll put a six plus in there so people can kind of see how they fit. I've got a couple of busted old Android phones around here I can put in just for an example. <laughs> we could try that. Yep. Maybe even a Palm Trio if I can find it. You still have those things? I still have one. Yeah, I love that phone. So, yeah, that's cool. Thanks again, Zion. And here's the rules. So, we're going to make this a social media contest. And the way you enter is you share one of our posts, preferably this episode, on another page, like another motorcycle page or another motorcycle podcast page on Facebook. So you'll hit up our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash rdubstudios. There's a link on our website for that and also in these show notes, which will be loudpipes.net slash 64. And essentially, like I said, use the share option within Facebook to share one of our posts on another page or within a group or somewhere. But, but you have to use the share option because that way we can track who's actually doing the sharing. And then we'll just take all the shares and we'll we'll put them in a bucket. We'll do a random number and we'll pull one out. And then we'll send you this case. It'll be that simple. Pretty easy there. Pretty easy. And we'll, uh, we'll allow more than one entry. So, you know, we'll say we'll do up to five entries per person. Um, you know, after that, you know, we appreciate the shares, but it's not going to get you any more, <laughs> any more tickets in the, in the barrel. So that's it. It depends on how you count it. It could ultimately get you over that hump. I'm just saying. If Rico's counting, or if a politician's counting, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) 
there might be some hanging chad or you know maybe some few uh ballots stuck on the back of the machine or something y- you never can tell you never can tell we'll see so yeah it's cool i'm excited we haven't done a contest in a while and the uh the feedback isn't usually real strong on a contest you know i'll admit that but hoping for good things on this one like i said get some sharing out there get your name in the drawing take up to five or so entries per person and let's see let's pick let's pick a date put it out there what do you think let's look at the calendar real quick so today is november hey let's make let's make it a christmas item for someone okay so we got to do it before christmas so let's do we'll make the announcement on the 15th of december for that recording and we'll put it we'll put it in the mail that that friday sounds good so all on entries fifteenth and deliver in and ship it on the sixteenth. Absolutely, a free a free Christmas gift for your loved one who has a bike. How easy is that? Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Otherwise, it's gonna come to me. And I'll put because it matches my brown seat. Yeah. I'll put it on my bike. <laughs> it's real dark brown though. This is not like it's a, fine. It'll work out fine. This is more espresso, not so much caramel. It's fine. It'll it'll work. It'll it'll go. It'll go. Don't worry. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's move it along. So I would like to take a moment to thank all the riders of Loud Pipes for their continued support. That would be our first five riders, Marcus, Rickard, Edward, Jebby, and Zion. We have our insider Micah and our first barbershop member, Chuck. And I'm pleased to announce we have two new riders of Loud Pipes that have joined us this week. We have Steve Dionisi and Titus Krager. I believe that's how we say that name. So we want to welcome both of them into the Riders of Loud Pipes group. And a little background, Steve is actually a longtime friend of mine. And in the past, he was actually my manager. (laughs) So there's a good story with that one. (laughs) Welcome, guys. Glad to have you part of our group. Oh, yeah. Yep. Ready to share with you. You should both have emails at this point for... Uh, Patreon information, so what you can get on that website, the audio RSS feed, things like that. You should also have your invite to Slack, as well as the monthly video hangout. Now get in there. I want to see some posts, some interesting yeah, conversation. Well, people are busy, and everybody's ah. got a lot of projects going on. So, but it's that not that true. busy. You know, there's always something going on. It's they're sporadic. As people get breaks, yeah, they're chiming in, so it's interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, though. It's ni- nice to see it grow, and I'll be curious to see what the tipping point is, where we, you know, there's more people in there than we can we can manage. <laughs> but for now, it's a ton of fun. Oh, it's a blast! You kidding me? As we always say, if that's interesting to you, check out loudpipes.net/slash/donate and sign yourself up for. You know, start out at the dollar level if you just want the patron-only perks as well as the downshift, which is the show we're recording right after this. Or you step it up to $5 and get into the Riders of Loud Pipes, which is things we just mentioned, the Slack group, which is our our private social media channel, and then also the monthly video hangout, which is going to be next Sunday, right, John? If I have that right? That is correct. What date is that? 27th, my friend, at 1 p.m. 27. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Don't forget, John and Natalie are manning the store. Manning and womaning the store, if that's correct. That's loudpipes.net slash store. 
Get yourself a t-shirt, polo shirt, hat, keychain, koozie, sticker. Get one of each. Why not? Additional information for this episode, including links and images, can be found on our website, loudpipes.net slash 64. You'll find links to leave us feedback, subscribe to the show, and follow us on social media. Hogan. Hey, I wanted to say a quick thanks to Pete for giving Loud Pipes a leg up and for being on the show. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. John? All right. Thanks, everybody. And ride safe. All right. Kickstands up. Heading into the downshift. This has been an RDub Studio production. Check us out at rdubstudios.com, iTunes, or Stitcher Radio.